Hey everybody, this is Alex Merced from alexmerced.com with another one of these 101 videos. And this is uh, Welfare 101. Mainly what I'm talking about is a social safety net. Uh, what is the idea of a social safety net? What is sort of the arguments for it? What are the criticisms? How do you make one? How shouldn't you make one? This is going to be very similar to my discussion of regulations. Um, where basically the idea wasn't that regulations are, are, are bad. There's just bad ways of creating them. There's bad versions of regulations, and there's bad ways to create regulations. And the, the basic, the thrust of that conversation was, if you listen to the Regulations 101 video, is that simple rules were better, and creating them through a decentralized process was better. And it's going to be very simple, very actually almost the exact same argument here with uh, welfare and social safety nets. So the concept of a social safety net, the idea is, is not everything in life is predictable. Unforeseen events happen, unforeseen circumstances happen, and sometimes people fall on hard times, not because of any failure on their own part or merit on their own part. And second, that there's a positive externality to other people doing, being better off for ourselves. So in a sense that if more people are uh, educated, more people will be, let's say, have better lives and interact with each other better, communicate with each other better, and that kind of allows us to be live more peaceful, also uh, prevents there from being uh, violence, struggles, uh, resentment in society, in a sense. So there's a benefit to, you know, making sure that... Uh, there, there are positive externalities. So another example of a positive externality, and this is the second time I'm kind of bringing Cecil Pigou into this, who was the person who kind of originated the idea of externalities, is imagine if everyone had access to good hygiene or was able to make sure they had good hygiene. Uh, the ride on public transportation would be better because you won't accidentally you know, sit next to a smelly person, and that benefits everybody in a sense. So there is something to be saying. There is some benefit to everyone sort of having a minimum of something so you know people having a minimum education having a minimum there's a benefit to this a social benefit the question is how do you provide that and there's also uh, a, a benefit to society in people being able to not have to worry about the unforeseen okay so for example uh, people and a good example of this is like car insurance. The fact that you know that if you get into a car accident, you may not necessarily lose everything because all the legal lawsuits and legal liabilities won't result in you getting your wages garnished in your house taken because you bought car insurance. There's a value in that because it allows you to be more willing to go out and drive. Because um, at the end of the day, insurance is essentially a social safety net. It's, 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 it catches you for unforeseen events. So really, at the end of the day, a social safety net is essentially insurance. The idea is providing people with insurance for those unforeseen events, bad circumstances, for the positive externalities of that. Because again, car insurance, people who have car insurance are going to be feel more comfortable driving, which means they may be able to pursue economic opportunities that require them to drive further distances. And that will be better for the overall economy, individual prosperity, which allows people to be happier, and happier people tend to be nicer to each other, more tolerant of each other, all these kind of things. So there is something to say about the benefit of people having some sort of backstop. Cool. But the question is, how is that provided? So first I'll talk about sort of, again, I'm, I kind of alluded to that 
simpler, simpler is better, decentralized is better. So first let's talk about the idea of decentralized. So how do you have a decentralized social safety net? That means multiple institutions providing it um, at different levels and sometimes multiple institutions doing the same thing. And competing against each other do the same thing. That's essentially what we see in an insurance market. That's a social safety net. When you buy car insurance, you're putting a backstop in case you're in a car accident. You buy life insurance, you're getting a backstop in case something happens, an unforeseen accident happens, you takes your life that your family is taking care of. Disability insurance, all these types of insurances are social safety nets. You're paying into a pool. There's not enough money in that pool to cover everybody if everybody had a claim. They, but the idea is that everyone's paying into a pool of money. You're, re, you're essentially redistributing wealth. Okay, because you may never get into an accident, which means the money you paid into that pool will never go to you. But the pool's there just in case. So insurance companies are essentially in the business of redistributing wealth. The big difference is you're choosing to be part of that deal. Um, is that it's, it's, it's consensual. And it's not just the value of choice. It's not just not the value of people not being forced into something. But there's also benefits to doing so. There's, there's certain incentives that it creates. So for an insurance company... An insurance company has an incentive to assess risk, to do research and learn about the risk that it's insuring. And this, has a, this also has a positive externality because as insurance companies learn sort of what are the statistics as far as when do people get into more car accidents, what kind of cars are more likely to be stolen, they, that is going to be reflected in their price. So if you are someone who exhibits characteristics, of someone who is more likely to get into car accident, car insurance is going to be more expensive for you. But that's going to encourage you to take steps to mitigate that risk, to do things that signal to them that you are taking precautions um, so that way you can pay a lower premium. So this creates a financial reward for you to mitigate these unforeseen events. And at the same time, there's an incentive for insurance companies to do research to better price that. And that's that's to everyone's benefit. Um, so, the, so that's why insurance private insurance that you have to go out and purchase in a market and at the same time well what if the insurance companies charge too much that's where competition comes in comes into play if they charge too much for the insurance then what's going to happen is that somebody else is going to charge less and undercut them what if they charge too little well if they charge too little they're going to go out of business because they're not going to be able to cover all those claims um so uh that's not good either so insurance companies have an incentive to figure out what the right price for risk is figure out what the what's the right sort of burden for those who want this insurance to be provided this insurance. So that way, you're only redistributing the wealth that needs to be redistributed to provide that safety net. Okay, to, to, to the benefit. Now, what happens is that when you start having more monopolistic provision of insurance, because then they can charge more, and they can cover you less. And this is generally what happens either when government restricts insurance markets too much by placing all sorts of different regulations, making it really hard for there to be many competing insurance companies to keep all those factors in check, or when government just decides to provide it themselves, meaning they there is no private market for it, the government just does it themselves, and oftentimes they don't price it purely based on risk, they throw in all these other factors, um, and use it kind of as a... As a, as a, as a a lever for social engineering. So you may be overpaying for what you're getting. Uh, someone else may be underpaying. And uh, it create those saps of resources. So basically, you are distorting the way these, re- these resources are. And oftentimes, the same incentive to, to assess risk isn't necessarily there. Um, because they can always just ask for more money because they have a monopoly. So 
governance always sort of tears down when you have a monopoly. And the thing, the difference between a government monopoly and a private monopoly is that a private monopoly can be dealt with. You can innovate ways to work around them. You can, there's ways to deal with it. A government monopoly, well, if someone tries to develop these workarounds, they can just basically cut them off at their knees. So government monopolies are much more difficult to deal with as far as the types of problems they cause. Now, other, but the thing is that this then raises the question, what if people can't afford to buy private insurance? Well, then that's where you start getting into other types of situations for other types of social safety nets. You could have... You could have charitable giving in the sense of where people donate to a nonprofit, and that nonprofit could either provide aid or subsidize the purchase of insurance. That's a possibility. You can have community organizations where communities create local groups. You already have this in insurance markets where sometimes people want, let's say, a life insurance policy, but instead of going to an insurance company, they get a group of they maybe form a a a group or a pool with their local community and uh, do it that way or people do it through organizations that they're in so if you're part of like a like a, a mason lodge or uh, uh, the shriners or something like that oftentimes they'll have like insurance policies that you can get through the group and then the group that's subsidized by your membership fees and it's part of a suite of benefits you get for being part of that organization so there's different levers and then they see those organizations oftentimes provide aid in a lot of other ways because they're there for the benefit of their group. But you choose to be part of these groups, you choose to take on these costs, and you choose it because these benefits, these values, these communities are valued to you. And that's the benefit of, of, of markets. It creates an of the market process. It creates all these different different options. And it which allows people to find the option that works best for them with extracting as little resources out of the economy as possible because people can discover sort of what's the best balance between what I'm getting versus what I'm giving up. But when you take that process out of everyone negotiating with each other, then sometimes you end up taking too much or too little and or giving too much or giving too little. And we're all worse off for it. So to summarize so far, the idea that people have backstops for unforeseen events or for when, or the difficulties in life is a good thing. It does provide a positive externality to others. We are better off when others are better off. This is true. But how do you best create the system to make sure that people can have those backstops is you want a decentralized market process to create a diverse array of institutions. There's no one right way of doing it. So you want people to have the flexibility to not be regulated into limited options or to not even be allowed to develop alternative options because you have a, a monopoly version of it instead. Okay? Um, but certainly, um, people can argue that any kind of backstop is better than no backstop. But again, what generally happens is that when you have a, like a government monopoly backstop, oftentimes they do take too... Uh, at first, they may take give too much and take too little. That's generally how it starts. So everyone's like, this is awesome. Because you're getting all this benefit... And you're only paying X amount. Okay, this is generally what happens with like a lot of like national healthcare systems and whatnot. And over time, they realize that they gave too much and took too little. So then that begins to reverse over time because now they need to take more because they weren't taking enough. But they're not just taking more for the what they have to pay to provide, but to make up for everything they paid for before. So now what's happening is that future generations end up paying too much for too little because they're clamping down their costs and increasing their revenues to deal with the reverse problem generally at the onset of the program. Uh, 
Um, and then what happens? This and then basically this ends up eating the cost of living as we see here uh in the united states where the cost of like healthcare and a lot of different things have just kind of crowded out and again even though healthcare is not provided to you by the government it's heavily 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 regulated and controlled by government creating a very similar situation although on specifically on healthcare i highly recommend the book the primal prescription by robert murphy that book probably illustrates the ideas the concepts you need to know regarding that better than any book i can think of also, co-author was Doug McGuff, who's a doctor. Robert Murphy's an economist. So you get a nice mixture of both. Um, but again, so basically, what I hope to get out of, or hope you get out of this discussion, is that there's two separate discussions you have in the similar how there's two separate discussions with regulations. It's not an idea whether regulation should or shouldn't exist, because that's a difficult argument to have, and it's, it's going to be one that's going to be hard to be successful. At the end of the day, rules are good. At the end of the day, backstops for unforeseen events are good, and there are benefits to having sort of predictable, simple rules, and to have things to kind of block, defend us, or or limit our pain when the unforeseen happens. The question is, in what kind of in what kind of space do these rules develop? Do these social safety nets develop? And based on all logic and incentives and process that doing it through a decentralized market process seems like a better process, even though it may take longer in, in times, because, pro- again, it's about discovery, about people trying different things and making mistakes. So oftentimes a market process will result in efforts that don't work or fail. But that's how it learns, but it quickly develops newer methods and keeps improving upon itself. You'll get somewhere that's better and more sustainable versus going through sort of a monopolistic government process that initially may look really good because initially oftentimes it gives too much and takes too little and eventually has to reverse that to everyone's detriment because now they're stuck with this worse system that's high cost and low benefit with but having no alternatives available to them because basically alternatives have been outlawed. So people always look at it in the moments like, well, initially when this program, like this program is going to be awesome. But you have to kind of think about what's going to happen, how these things are going to evolve, how these things are going to develop over time to really understand what the sustainability of these options are going to be. And again, with regulations and social safety nets, uh, a decentralized market process just logically seems it's going to lead to a better outcome over time versus a monopolistic government process. So this is Alex Merced from alexmerced.com. If you guys enjoy this video, please do share it. I'm going to have this all over the internet so that way people can learn from this. Um, and also, if you like what I'm doing, support what I'm doing by going to donate.alexmerced.com. Have a great day and enjoy.